When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. In this episode of Law Talks, Ellie and Katie are joined by Polly West. Listen in to learn about Polly's current legal career and her experience in-house. Please could you give us an overview of your legal career to date? Yes, so I will start at sort of university level just for context. So I did politics at university, but I always kind of knew that I wanted to do law. So I did think a bit about whether to do law at university or not. I can't remember what approach you guys have taken, but I just decided I wanted to something I was interested in and I knew some people who'd been put off law by doing law at university. So I took that approach and then did the conversion. So the GDL and LPC at BPP and had a training contract at Taylor Wessing, which I had got contractually two years before. So I think just before I started the GDL, I guess. Um, and so I trained there at Taylor Wessing, did my two years there, qualified there in 2016 I think and then qualified into the what was called the IP and media department which was generally sort of soft IP so trademarks bit of copyright bit of commercial stuff around that sort of advertising and then also a little bit of reputation management so I did that and stayed there for two years and then two years qualified I moved in house so I moved to Live Nation which um, is, if you're not familiar with it, the, the sort of biggest live events company in the world. And they own Ticketmaster and various festivals and venues and put on pretty much most of the gigs. I mean, I suspect you are aware of it, particularly Ticketmaster also, because you know, it's become increasingly a hot topic in the States, especially with I think, Taylor Swift having quite cross with them at times. Um, so I was there for just over two years, which did include a big chunk of COVID, which was terrible, obviously, for live events. So that was a real shame, but tricky. And then sort of in the depths of COVID, I moved to Net Porte, which is when I sort of transitioned into retail. 
Um, and I mean, obviously with Ticketmaster, where there's some e-commerce retail angles to it. So that was quite nice and transferable. But in terms of industry, it was, it was quite different to go to Nesporte. Um, so I was there for two years. And then in January of this year, I moved to Harrods, which is where I currently am. Amazing. Thank you. Um, yeah, Ellie and I have both taken the non-law route as well. So Ellie doing biomed and I did history, politics and economics, and now both doing our various conversion elements of it. So it's always nice to speak to non-law student lawyers because it makes us feel like, yeah, okay, we're on, we're on the right track. It can be done. Um, and I think it is becoming more popular, um, which is also a very interesting trend. Did you guys know you wanted to do law before those degrees or was it something that you changed whilst on those degrees or, or afterwards? Ellie? Um, yeah, well, I think very early on, uh, I think probably the best indicator is that in second year was when we started the podcast. Um, so even when I applied, yeah, I had like a an idea that I would like to eventually transition into law, but I didn't actually know anything about conversion of how that happened and then basically used as well as studying the undergrads those three years to get a way clearer idea of the path that you kind of take to get into law yeah same as me so Ellie and I went to school together which is how we know each other because obviously we went to different universities and I always remember at school we'd talk about law and finding little pockets of work experience but exactly like Ellie was saying it wasn't really until uni where it became a solidified plan I think because we didn't know much about it and it is quite hard to understand what's going on um, mm. and all the different terms, which is actually what we wanted to ask you next. So you've talked about being an in-house lawyer there. Mm. And just for some of our listeners who might not know what that means, could you just explain what what being an in-house lawyer actually means? Yeah, of course. So it essentially means you go from having a kind of roster of external clients that you know, find you in your law firm or find the law firm and hire the law firm to do specific pieces of work to pretty much having one client or, or multiple depending on how many companies you work for. So the company you work for is essentially your client. And then within that, you have lots of internal clients who for one you know, better word, they are your colleagues pretty much. So you will be part of a legal team within a company and you will work for, depending how it's set up, a certain department within that company or all the departments or you'll be a specialist within a certain area. So you might be an employment lawyer, in which case you might work a lot with HR, for instance, or you could be a commercial lawyer, which is generally what I've always done, which is generally a generalist, essentially. Um, and again, different companies will have different approaches to that. But in my experience, it's pretty much a little bit of everything and also has always been a little bit of working for everyone as well. So... I have never worked for a specific company or department within the companies I worked for. Um, but yeah, a little bit of anything can crop up from anyone. So you might suddenly get a request from the marketing team to do a contract, or you might be asked for a, a piece of advice on a new project from a buying team or a branding team, or you might get a piece of litigation coming in um, from someone else, or, or sometimes it's just unpacking what it is that's sort of gone on um, in terms of like when someone's asking you something, and it might not even be. A legal question essentially sometimes it sort of seems like it could be and it's actually your someone's asking you for kind of guidance to work out a problem and, and there might be legal angles legal angles to that but it might also just be a common sense right maybe you need to 
speak a little bit more to this person or find out this background and then maybe we can have a bit more informed decision. And one thing I've found about being an in-house lawyer, which is really interesting and enjoyable, is that, um, is that you quite often know, because you've had contact with all these different departments, you will know things that they won't necessarily know. And I sort of went into in-house thinking that everyone will know everything that's going on because that's how companies you know, work. And in reality, they're all big companies. People are constantly changing. And often there will be things going on that someone in a different team you know, has never met or just don't know about or just happen to be working with the same supplier. So quite often you can be like a nice linchpin where you're actually like, oh, have you spoken to so-and-so? Or actually, I think we worked with them before. Or do you remember last time we worked with them? Oh, actually, no, it was your predecessor. And I don't know how much you'll know about that. But in reality, these people were tricky on this. So they're negotiating on that. Or, you know, you have that kind of context, which is something that I really like about working for a company because, you know, it's, it's generally repeat work to some extent, but also it's just familiarity with the company, which is gets better the more you're there. And to some extent, you'll have that obviously in private practice because you might have clients you work with a lot. But in terms of developing that depth of knowledge about the company, that's harder to get, obviously, from a distance. Whereas if you're in-house, you might be literally sitting next to a department and you'll overhear something going on or have a little chat about something like, oh, right, this is cropping up in the way that is less likely to happen when you're in private practice unless you're constantly talking to those people. So that's kind of what it means to me um, or has been my experience of being an in-house lawyer so far. Thank you very much. That's very interesting. Uh, seeing that that far clear kind of crossover of the legal world with all these different areas of business, um, and you've talked a lot in detail about what your experience is at the moment. What we wanted to ask: At what point did you decide you wanted to transition into an in-house role, and what made uh, you make this decision? Yeah. So I I don't know if there was a sort of firm time as such. I think because. So I did a secondment during my training contract, three months at Amazon, which was just part of my six-month seat in the IP team. So it was just how they set it up. So it was three months in the department, three months on secondment. And that was obviously very lucky because it allowed me to sort of see kind of behind the curtain in a way of what that might be like, and which is obviously quite difficult to do. And I think obviously that's why these kind of podcasts are useful because it is hard to see or understand what it might be like without seeing it firsthand. Um, but it was just so interesting to me because apart from anything else, maybe it wouldn't be so unfamiliar now because the way things have changed since COVID, but it was an open plan office. I worked for the App Store and Kindle team um, as a sort of trainee for the lawyers there. And they sat with those teams. So they were literally sandwiched between them. So again, people from those teams would pop over and ask questions or they'd be sort of like, you'd overhear their negotiations. And that was just fascinating to me because you were right in the thick of it in the way that you obviously just couldn't be when you were literally physically in a different building, only being called up for certain things. And again, even then when you're very junior, obviously probably not called up by the clients that we filtered through maybe by a partner. So that was so interesting, but also I would have instant responsibility and autonomy, which I wasn't expecting because obviously as a trainee, you are by your nature not qualified. And so you're heavily supervised, which you know is, is obviously very beneficial and you learn from that. Um, but in-house, you know, there are so many smaller things that don't need so much supervision or the risk is lower and there you will you know, be supervised to some extent, but you might not need to be so much. And therefore it was a real learning curve in a really interesting way, but also it made me see what I might be able to do in a way that can be harder when you're a trainee and you're heavily supervised. You, you sort of, what would I be able to do independently if it wasn't being reviewed and how much of this is stylistic, how much of it is 
inaccuracies or whatever. So that was hugely influential for me, being able to see what it was like. But also the nature of the work that I did, being an IP lawyer, was working for quite a lot of fun fashion-y brands and, and names and just because of the nature of, of IP, where it's often, you know, people who have a well-known brand and, and the trademarks within that, the need protection obviously will reach out for it, and a lot on certain things. So there were a lot of cool clients that I worked for, whether defending, you know, or, or enforcing their IP rights. And so I could see how it could be really fun to hybridize, essentially, you know, your experience and your knowledge of law in an interesting, more contemporary area that you might be interested in, like fashion or tech or something of that nature. So I could sort of see that. And then separate to that, a lot of in-house opportunities they liked if you had an IP background, to be honest. They liked if you had a commercial background and a grounding in IP, because particularly if they were uh, protected over their brand names, they would want someone who knew how to help with that. So there were a few things that went on there that led me to that career path. A career change, I suppose. I never thought about it beforehand. It never crossed my mind as to what it was, which again is why I think these things are useful because in-house, I just never heard of it when I was even doing the GDL, I think. It just didn't mean anything to me. And I do think it's become a much more prominent thing anyway because I do think a lot more companies want larger in-house uh, legal teams. Because apart from anything else, you know, legal fees, Excel legal fees are really expensive and they can escalate so quickly. Whereas if you've got controlled costs of your legal team who are generalists and lots of things, you know what you're paying and you can control that. And you also get people who really know the business in the way that external law firms might not know so much. So I think, as I say, it's becoming much more a prominent thing anyway, but yeah, I didn't know what it was, but I just thought it really suited me. It was interesting. And then there were those other things that people talk about, work-life balance, et cetera, which did play into it, which I think is a question that you guys will ask me in a minute. But um, it, it is also that, you know, it felt like something that you might be able to have a bit more control over. And I think that's difficult to compare now because I was obviously very junior when you were very junior. You are also subject to some other people's timelines as, as makes sense. Um, but I did like the idea of a future where I could have a little bit more um, expectation around my timeframes, which was perhaps more difficult when I was in private practice. That, yeah, that's super interesting. And I think you've covered really very well what sort of what an in-house lawyer does through the past few questions, you know, that we've asked. Like, it's clear that it's very business orientated, like with the company you're working for. And especially when you're not within a specific department, just whatever it is that comes up. And I can imagine that's very fun because you get to get insight into loads of different aspects of a company and really feel part of it, um, which is really cool. Um, so thank you so much for kind of giving us a really clear understanding of that. But yeah, I think looking at that and kind of having that understanding and obviously, like you say, you were junior when you were um, working for a, a firm. But what what do you think the key differences are besides from the day to day operation? Is there is there any other big differences than than that? I think I think some of them I've sort of talked to. So I think it's sort of getting to know that company um, and knowing what works for that company, knowing your clients a lot better. The hierarchy, I think, is a big one. And again, that is difficult to compare because it was junior. 
But I still also think you can be a junior lawyer, you can be a paralegal um, and still have a lot of close contact with your internal clients if you're in a company that you wouldn't have if you were in private practice. Um, you also can you know, see a little bit more of what's going on within those companies from a strategy point of view or, or from a financial results point of view. I mean, that depends, to be honest, how much insight your team has in those areas, because sometimes that might not be insight that that legal team has. But all that means that you can have more. I know, for instance, when I was looking for roles, some of them were called business and legal affairs, the in-house roles. And I was really fascinated by what that meant. What does business and legal affairs mean? And it does literally now, now in hindsight, it's very obvious that you are involved in some of the business aspects of it rather than just, here's a contract, please can you draft it for me or whatever it is, which is not necessarily what you do in private practice. But it was just your insight into things that maybe have had come from your legal experience, um, but were not strictly related to it, were, were valued, which I thought was was great and something I really enjoyed. I do think, to be fair to private practice, also I've got a bias, I do think that there is probably more opportunity to be you know, a specific expert in something within private practice. And obviously by its nature in private practice, you are taught to be a specialist, you know, that's what you're there for, to be expert in one area, which by definition, you know, I'm a generalist. And I have areas of specialty. So I I look, I was an IP lawyer and I look after the IP work um, where I am now. So there is an element of that still, but in terms of getting really uh, well-schooled and knowledgeable in one particular area, something that private practice obviously lends itself better to, and you've got people surrounding you who can help with that. And if that's your path where you want to be an expert in something and you also want to have clearly marked out progression points, private practice is probably better for that. I think in-house, you don't know often when you're going to what the next step is, whether there's an opportunity for promotion, what's the ultimate goal if you don't want to be a general counsel, particularly because a lot of these law, law legal teams are quite small. So it might be you and one other person, in which case, where do you go from that? Whereas in private practice, you are four years qualified and then maybe six disqualified, you might be a senior associate if you apply for it, you know, it's clearly marked out. So the progression steps are probably clearer there. So it depends what you're looking for, whether you want to, if you know you want to stay and be a partner and be head of a team, be an expert in this, then obviously private practice is the way to go. But if you're not sure about that, you're not sure you want to be a partner, as I certainly wasn't, you quite quickly question, well, what is the next step for me if I do stay where I am? And, and there are other roles. There are obviously sort of professional support lawyers or um, senior councils where you are a bit more sort of knowledge focused, less sort of business building focused and client focused. But yeah, I think you probably get an idea quite early on over whether it, it's going to suit you. And obviously there are other firms, that firm doesn't suit you, but that type of work works. But I think if you can see the opportunities available to you, i.e. what in-house might be like, I would definitely recommend everyone have a look because you know once you've got this skill set and once you're qualified, and particularly for a good law firm, you know, there are a lot of opportunities there, whether they're staying where you are, moving firm, moving in-house, maybe even going out of law. It's a great grounding, which does give you lots of options thereafter. Thank you very much. It's very interesting and I think very valuable hearing about this very kind of alternative um, legal career and particularly hearing you talk about the kind of more generalist um, and I suppose like across greater um like business areas and subjects is really interesting particularly from what we usually hear from um lawyers who work for firms so thank you it's a really interesting perspective and kind of on that note with you talking about um 
the interaction with businesses. How greatly does in-house work vary across different companies? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a tricky question because I've so many worked in a couple. So I can only really talk to what I know. Although for some extra context, I am married to a lawyer, as is often the case. And um, he is an in-house tax lawyer, which is, you know, completely different. He's much more of an advisory role. He doesn't work on contracts and who knew as much or it'll be a specific part of a contract. And I have no idea what he's talking about when he talks about some things that he works on. So I think that that in itself just goes to show the range, you know, just because you're an in-house lawyer doesn't mean, and obviously I say we pick up anything that comes in, but there are obviously specialist areas, particularly high risk areas, which you might outsource or which you might not want to touch. And tax would certainly be one of those. So I think one thing I could say is that if you're a general commercial lawyer, as I have generally been, I have been surprised about some of the consistencies between the companies I work for. I mean, working for Nesporte and Harrods, and you can see a common thread there, even though one was online, one was more more predominantly physical location. Those obviously got similarities, but Live Nation, Live Entertainment Company, it's quite a different industry. And yet there were lots of things I was pleasantly surprised to see which were similar because there are a lot of contracts you have to do which are the less sexy work where it might be getting um, sort of some tech on board or some software or even procurement stuff like working out, you know, your building rent or that kind of stuff, which there's continuity wherever you are in that kind of work. And that was really pleasing because it also meant that if you're going into a different industry, you're like, oh, well, will I be able to do this? Is this, am I now a bit too specialized and I didn't start in this? Is it too late? And actually, I was really pleasantly surprised how much I could transfer some of that knowledge and skills. And and obviously, between companies, there might be different risk appetites in terms of, sure, this is how I might have marked up a contract for this here. But actually, if it's a more conservative location, should I have beefed up the indemnities from the other company or, you know, cap the liability, whatever it is. I know those are a bit more sort of legal terms. But um, generally, I found it to be what I have learned in previous places instead of being good stead for the next place. So provided you're not intending to go somewhere completely different or specialise something completely at odds with what you've done before, there is continuity in that commercial space which I would say would probably transfer even beyond, like, for instance, if I was to go out suddenly go work for a charity, they would still have contracts to keep the lights on, things like that, or, you know, for the poster, whatever it is, um, or to use their, you know, the internet provider, whatever it is, that's still going to be the same. So even though it's a completely different industry and there would be completely different rules about charities, et cetera, I would need to learn how to do in greater detail. There would be stuff that would be consistent, which I think is, again, really nice because, you don't feel like you're closing yourself off early on, especially if you do general work. There are still lots of other places you could work for and, and probably adapt to those. It's so interesting to see how the main, well, this is my understanding of what you said, but the main difference sort of working in-house across different companies. And this sounds really obvious, but is the company and how much they, how they operate and how you understand how they operate, like you were saying, with certain companies, you might know you need to focus in and beef out part of a contract for this more compared to others where that's just not not what's necessary. So I think it's really cool to see how clearly it sounds like you really build an understanding of what that company needs. And again, I know this all sounds really obvious, but like Ellie was saying, we don't often speak to in-house lawyers. So I think it can be really hard to kind of understand that 
like you were saying at the start, they are your client and you get to know them really well and what they need. And yeah, that's just, I don't know. I found that really interesting because I don't think I quite understood just how well. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast code acast. Well, you get to know the needs of the company you're working for as a, as a client that's not really something I'm familiar with yeah and I think that's right also because I had a real feeling when I was in private practice of the sort of the formality of the client lawyer relationship you know you had to sort of my perception was possibly overthinking it which I think is not uncommon in the legal profession us those of us who decide to do it I had to sort of don this particular mask or role in order to be with my client I had to sort of stand up straighter and they were um sort of godlike in that particular dynamic and of course you know you need to make them feel like you're an expert possibly don't have to be as deferential as i felt like you had to be but i just felt like there was a real aura around them and i found that probably slightly got in the way of building relationships and i was so junior that i wasn't building a lot of client relationships at that point so that might have changed the more senior i got but what i just really liked about being in house was that formality was removed and obviously there are people of seniority who you're always going to do that a little bit for but just the fact that you are automatically on the same side and sometimes that's tricky because sometimes what you're saying to them is i really wouldn't recommend you do that and they're like well we want to do this so you don't feel like you're on the same side and obviously try to help them out but you can be seen as being a bit of a stick in the mud let's say on certain things but essentially you're both there to further the interests of that company you work for and they also can ask you questions and you're not putting on a timer and charging them for it so there's no risks and issues around that controversy or too much time of yours being used because actually you've gone over budget you just feel a lot more like you can chat about stuff and and it's beneficial to both of you to understand a little bit more what the other does because then that makes the next contract or the next engagement or project you work on a little bit easier and you can refer back to it and then also just knowing that people are just like easy to work with people when you've got a relationship with them which again is something that was told to me in in the law firms but i never really understood it in context i was like sure i get it i've got to sort of maybe go and meet this person and have lunch and then sort of talk about very specific things but actually just having a bit more of a human relationship with them means that you can work better with them so that's something i really like about which as i say if i say in private practice maybe I've developed with my skill set anyway but it's something that i really like about being in house and i think it it works really well i think the in house lawyer is is a is a good is a great job but also i think it works really well for the companies yeah i don't have to swap your um your flats from your heels under your desk to go and meet the client that sort of thing um 
And yeah, I don't know if you've seen all the TikToks with companies like, say, Ryanair, who've built a really huge TikTok presence. And a lot of the ones that do really well from their marketing teams are like on the way to go for a meeting with our legal counsel because they're annoyed at our TikToks. So don't, have you seen those? I'm, I've got to confess, British in wage, not a TikToker. <laughs> well, I'm not really either, but they've just run the most incredible marketing campaign and it's effectively them posting slightly outrageous stuff that's just not outrageous, but it's funny. And then being like, off to see our in-house lawyers kind of thing. And like, like kind of just jokes about how like the law team are always like, oh, you can't post this or, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. So it's it's been interesting to see how that's kind of fed into the marketing of companies and how well companies that sort of joke about that sort of thing has done really well. It is interesting. You should have a look at we just look it up because they've yeah. done well with it. I mean, I think um, you're right, though. I do think that the sort of in-house legal team, which was pretty invisible as a concept, I think, not that long ago, certainly was to me, is suddenly a lot more visible, either because they're bigger teams, but also because their role is bigger. And, and you know, sometimes they have very close relationships with senior people in marketing or whatever different team it is within the company. And therefore, they are much more of a, a yeah, a visible role, which is also nice if you're if you're being in-house. Because that's another thing that I really liked about it. I felt sometimes when I was a private practice, you do feel very behind the scenes. You do feel a little bit like you're sort of quietly beavering away for as an invisible role. Whereas if you're physically sitting next to someone you're working with, you're not invisible. You know, you are a person and you can have that interaction, which, and, and you know each other, you can know each other, which I think is a really nice thing. It also just humanizes your job a lot more, which is always nice. Thank you so much. That's a really interesting um, perspective. And we wanted to sort of touch on, again, I suppose this difference between enhanced legal careers and um, lawyers working with firms. So do you think that there is a common misconception that in-house legal careers always provide a better lifestyle with shorter hours? Um, yeah, I think that will depend on the company. And I think that these days it's slightly easier to actually broach that as a subject in an interview because although it sounds immediately you feel like, or, or maybe with a recruiter, let's say, because there's obviously a fear that you sound work shy if you're like, oh, what are the hours? But there is a way to ask it, which just means that you're on the same page. Because if you're looking to leave private practice because you want a bit of work, better work-life balance, there's no point in you going to a company then expects you to work the same hours, particularly if you're going for less money. So it's better to know up front for you and the company you might be working for if that's the expectation and it's not one that you're wanting to do because then that's just never going to be a happy relationship and a happy working environment for you or person you're working for. So I think there are certainly jobs in-house where the hours are long and often you, you're compensated for that, to be honest. So sometimes that's you're fine with that. You wanted to go and work specifically for a company. You wanted to be more involved in a certain area. You knew it was going to be hard work and you're still being well paid for it. So that's a, that's a completely different avenue to in-house. I mean, I remember when I was first considering going in-house, I went for a, a job at a brand um, and I went to the interview and she, it would have just been me and the general counsel. I can't remember if she was the head of legal or general counsel, um, which just in my understanding is, is general counsels often have a bit more of a, a director role or a role in the sort of board is always been my understanding, whereas head of legal might be sort of slightly more removed. Um, but 
she said to me, just so you know, upfront, this is not a nine to five job. So if that's what you're interested in doing, this probably isn't the job for you. And I was so grateful for that because the money was quite a lot worse than what I was currently being paid. And I was looking to get a better work-life balance. And I could have easily been lured into the coolness of the brand and the fun office, fun location, the fun marketing that was around that brand. And assumed because the money was less that the work-life balance would have been better and I would have been finishing at six and that would have been fine. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it would have been better than I thought. And maybe, you know, I catastrophize it a little bit, but I mean, I, I withdrew from the process because it was one of my motivations. And I just thought that was really great of her for saying that, because as I said, there's just no point in you going for a job where you're misunderstanding what will be expected of you. But that's all to say that my experience where I have worked since has generally been that my hours have been a lot better. They've been a lot more regular. And when I've been working longer hours, there's been a reason for it. So it's been project based or, for instance, during COVID when, you know, the world went to hell. And um, there were a lot of scrabbling around, sorting out things, looking into things you'd never thought about, learning new legislation, which was ever changing, trying to diversify what you were doing, particularly in the live event space. You're like, is it virtual? Is it drive-ins? What licenses do we need for that? What terms and conditions do you suddenly need to write in terms of social distancing? Trying to interpret legislation that, you know, um, poor civil servants had sort of written very quickly and then had to adapt, also probably completely sleep deprived. So, you know, there are things that can crop up, uh, which means you work longer, which is, I've always felt it's fine because then you're doing it for a purpose. Whereas obviously in private practice, there's obviously a little bit more of a FaceTime feeling. And I think that will depend on the firm. I think it will depend on seniority. I always felt like I needed to be there to a certain time. It wasn't always that late, but I felt like even if I had finished earlier, I probably it didn't feel like I could leave earlier. And maybe that was on me. Maybe that was a bit of an environment of that. Whereas I feel like where I've been since, you know, people have places to be. A lot of people I work with have got children, therefore they have to go and do pickups. Or, you know, people have just got other stuff going on. So people will be working very hard during the day and then they will leave unless there's a reason that they specifically really can't. And I really liked that because also I do remember sometimes in practice, sometimes people wouldn't always be working really, really hard during the day, but they would still be there till nine or 10. They'd sort of get going again after supper, which sometimes is because the work demanded it, but sometimes just felt a bit cultural. Um, and that was not something that I wanted to do long-term really. So I think, I think in answer, it's a very long-winded answer, but in answer to your question, I think it's not always better. I think it's worth worth investigating with your recruiter, maybe even in your interview, or if you can with someone you know, via someone who works there, what the expectation of the culture is in the place you're considering moving to and working out if that works for you, if you're happy with that, if what you're being paid or what you're doing is going to be proportionate to that for you, and then trying to make an informed decision as much as you can on whether that new potential role will work for with what you want for your next role and for your career. That's been so interesting. I mean, I know you say a bit of a long-winded answer, but I think it's kind of necessary to it to explain because I maybe this is me being naive because I have not started my training contract yet, and same as Ellie, you know, she's not at Chambers yet, so it probably is a bit of naivety. But I do sometimes find it quite strange when people ask questions, just like people asking about what I'm up to, what I'm going to be doing, you know, about either pay or hours because 
say like going into law, like, oh, you're doing it for the money. And it's like, I don't think you'll get very far in law if you don't enjoy it and find the work interesting, particularly with how hard the application process is, how competitive it is across. I think you have to really love it and actually be good at certain skill sets to be able to get into law. Um, but it's like, of course, factors such as hours and pay are going to impact what you want to be doing at different stages of your life. Like, I don't think there's any shame or problem with moving around to different seats if you're in a firm or you know choosing what you want to qualify into depending on the different hours in the different seats or moving going in-house or or not like I think it's sort of like a it, it's a bit of a taboo topic but actually it just makes sense that of course you're going to want to be in a comfortable job for you in terms of hours and pay and at different stages of life and may maybe that is very naive um no I think that's absolutely right and I think also you know the company as I said depends on the culture as to what they like but also your role so if you're a general counsel or a head of legal there might be expectations on you that are that you're available you know at all times or, or certainly yeah. contactable or that you work late and sometimes it's personality traits you know I've certainly worked with people who work incredibly hard in-house sort of all all the time um, and I suspect they would do that sort of wherever they were and sometimes that's you know driving and also because if you're really you know invested in that company and you're really part of it and particularly if you're on the board or particularly in a smaller company you might it might feel like your company you know a lot of startups that have sort of one com one in-house lawyer they will be so involved in the process of growing that company that they will be really driven to do that so that might be a motivation for them but I think you're absolutely right that's there are some of those subjects that are taboo. And I definitely remember a feeling when I personally was in-house, and I do think it's changed quite a bit now because there's more flexibility anyway working in, in private practice from what I hear than what it was like when I was there sort of a few years ago. And my, my, don't give you wrong, my law firm was, was great and I really enjoyed it. But when you're thinking about the motivations for your next step, et cetera, yes, money is definitely a factor. I think, as you say, it seems mad to suggest it's not. And it is a taboo, I think it's a taboo subject for people in Britain, to be honest, always have the money. I think it is for women as well. And I think there are a lot of questions over what motivates you and career-wise, which feel really tricky. And I definitely felt like being in private practice, there was a little bit of an energy around in-house was sort of a cop-out or, or sort of you were going to stop learning or stop progressing, stop earning money or, you know, always earn less. And, you know, that again completely depends on the in-house roles you go for a lot of them are very lucrative and again a lot of them are, are very demanding um and specialist so there's a whole world of different in-house roles you can have but you're right I mean those factors are things for you and it's very difficult not to be influenced by the people around you but as soon as I stepped out of the private practice environment I realized that in-house is you know it's not cushy it's not a pushover it's not a dead end it's not necessarily going to be lucrative it's also not necessarily not going to be so that all those things were where they were sort of put in a box. These things were, these are these facts that are in-house. A, were partly being told to you by people who had never been in-house and made a decision not to be. Um, and they just weren't necessarily true. And I think that's why going to try and explore it if you can by doing a secondment or work experience if you can or talking to people who are in-house is really important because then you get to see those things for yourself. And the other thing is, you know, you can also albeit quietly you can also go and do the odd interview if you're just considering it you don't you're not committed to those things 
you can just go and do a bit of an explore. And sometimes it's that kind of grass is greener thing where you might go and do an interview like I did. And I was told that actually you're going to get paid less and still work very hard and it'll be very demanding. And then you suddenly realize, oh, it's not as shiny as I thought it was out there. And actually it's got to be about a specific role. It's not just this world of in-house will bring all these things. It's got to work for you at the right time and be the right role in the right company for you. So I think, yeah, the more information you can gather and the more people you can talk to or, or companies you can explore, the better, because then you get to make your own decisions rather than just basing those on what you're being told by the people around you. I also like how you've touched on like it depends what's happening uh, as in it complete like I can imagine during COVID everything with furlough say I mean I don't know if you're particularly involved in that but you know that's a whole new word I mean term mm-hmm. with legislation around it that's got to be navigated like of course that's going to be busy in the same way that if you're in private practice and you're in M&A and there's a deal that mm-hmm. week it's going to be busy compared to a quiet week or when the economy is really slow and loads of people have been like, yeah, it's been really quiet. Mm. And also I think with working from home now, which has definitely come up, there's a, there's a big difference. I, I think I would feel like this at least. And again, maybe naive, but between working at home in the comfort of your house where you can make yourself a slice of toast and have a cup of tea instantly and be in your pajamas working late and being in the office with heels on working until 1am and never, then having to commute back. I think even things like that probably do make a difference with if there are late hours, like the comfort of where you can be doing the work has all changed. And that's probably good and bad because I guess it can lead into life. But I think You're that's right, though. You're right. And I think also, I think a lot of people I know as well, that extra hour in the morning is huge for them. Not having to do that commute in the morning, being able to get up and maybe crack on. And then suddenly by 10, you've already like well into your to-do list for the day. And that flexibility does make a huge difference to that. And certainly, as I say, working with people, a lot of people who have families, that flexibility makes a huge difference for them doing pickups and drop-offs, et cetera. So you're right. I think having I think the mix as ever is probably best, isn't it? Where sometimes when you go in, there's huge benefits to that. Sometimes working from home, there's huge benefits to that. And certainly for me, by the days when we are in and I get to be with my colleagues and have face-to-face meetings, they're really important. And I think it would be a real shame not to have those all together because they're really bonding and it's a really different part of your job. And sometimes when you've got a list of contracts to review or piece of advice to write or whatever it is, that can be a little bit back to back. Oh, just going through my to-do list. A bit like, you know, doing sort of pieces of work for university. Whereas if you intersperse those with meetings and calls and discussions about things, and then a little bit of that kind of water cooler chat you get from being in the office, that makes your job so much more interesting and so much more depth and just is a whole other part of your job, which you can forget is part of it rather than just doing things on your to-do list. What advice would you give to aspiring lawyers who are set on in-house? And hopefully that's a growing group of aspiring lawyers. Yeah, so I think a little bit of what I've covered. So if you can get experience of it, I would recommend that. I would say also in-house is quite a catch-all term. As I said, there are lots of different ways of doing it. So in-house in some ways can almost feel a little bit like being in a firm, particularly if you're in a really big corporate company. It's a really big legal team with lots of different specialisms. That's not necessarily that different from being in a law firm. So I think it completely depends Almost, yes, being in-house is a, is a type of career, but also it's what type of company. Do you want to be on your own? Do you want to be in a team? Do you want to be one of two? 
do you want to be the person they go to entirely for that? Or do you want to have people you can learn from within your team who are lawyers? So all that is working out what you want. So rather than just being in-house, it's like, what kind of career do you want? What kind of environment do you want? What kind of support system do you want? So I would say thinking about that is important. Definitely getting experience if you can or talking to people. The other thing I would say is that I've been very lucky. I trained at a, a good firm and I did my couple of years there. And there's always this question about how long you should stay in private practice or going in-house. I mean, I think that's one of those how long is a piece of string type things. But I do think that whenever I've gone for interviews, they have always looked at where I've trained. And that has always, I think, stood me in fairly good stead. So it, if you've got a firm that's reputable and you're lucky to have trained there, then it's sort of it's code for, oh, you must have worked hard because that's quite a hard work environment. You must be bright enough because you've got that competitive training contract. You must have learned good stuff there. So I think that's helpful if you can to have a little bit of a grounding and have that on your CV. I would recommend it. Of course, it's not the only route. And I know lots of people who paralegaled in-house, then managed to get that company to sponsor them to train there, qualify there and either stayed there or then moved. And that has its own benefits too, because then you've always known the in-house environment and you've always known how that operates, you know, that company really well. And that's hugely beneficial. And your training is not necessarily worse than in private practice. So I think there are different, different routes to it. But I would say if you can, and you're in that traditional private practice environment, start, try and stay there for a bit. And if you're looking to be a generalist or commercial lawyer, I would recommend getting some contract experience because as much as People are always like, oh, you go in house, you just do contracts all the time. I do do a lot of contracts. They attach to different things. So they don't always feel like the same thing. And they're certainly not the only thing I do. But having a good understanding of contract law and how to mark up a contract is something that I probably wish I'd done a little bit more before I moved, because in some ways that was one of the biggest changes I had to adapt to when I went from an IP specialist role to a commercial role. I was slightly self-teaching myself that. So I would recommend that. But yeah, if you can, get a couple of years, get training on that, try and get experience in different places if you can, or talk to other people, do us a comment if you can, um, and just sort of take your time. And then, yeah, maybe go and do a couple of cursory interviews where you get to see a little bit what would be expected of you uh, and what it might be like, even just to see inside the buildings of some of those places, I think can be quite informative. So yeah, I think keep your, keep your options open, keep your eyes open, try and absorb what you can from the people in private practice and try and talk to people or explore companies you might be interested in, in working for. And I, I think also think about what your specialism that you're qualifying into is also important because I do know that people who specialize in certain areas have then maybe found there are fewer in-house jobs available to them if they're a particular specialist and they don't want to try and diversify into a more general role. I mean, increasingly, I think a lot of companies have specialist lawyers for certain things, like as I say, employment or tax or IP or whatever. But Sometimes those options can be a little bit more limited. People I know who sort of did more kind of insurance type work um, then found that there obviously weren't that many roles in house unless you work for an insurance company. So I think maybe try and have an eye, but to, eye to what you want to qualify into if that's your long-term plan, because things like a commercial role or an IP role are more likely to give you more options in more companies down the line. Amazing. Polly, thank you so much for coming on the talks. Um, we've learned so much and it's so refreshing to speak to an in-house lawyer, so thank you. No, you're welcome. It's very nice to talk to you, talk to you both.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.